What is up, Bitcoiners? It's your boy CK sitting across from Ansel Lindner, and we interviewed Mark Moss. Mark has been putting out amazing information about macro, about how to be a sovereign individual, about real estate, and most importantly, about Bitcoin. Uh, He has a massive YouTube channel. Go check it out. He has almost a quarter of a million people checking him out over there. Um, But it was a lot of fun getting him on, uh, going back and forth with Mark on a lot of these topics that we talk about every single week here on FedWatch. Mark has some opposite opinions. He forecasts things kind of playing out a little bit differently than we do, but that is great. And honestly, um, despite those differences, we are all extremely optimistic about Bitcoin. So um, I really think you guys are going to enjoy this podcast. And I really think that Mark brings a really great perspective here. Um, Ansel, what was your take on this on this interview? Yeah, so his perspective is one more of, I think, being successful in something else. So he was successful in real estate, and then he found gold, and then he found Bitcoin years later. So um, I think the way he views Bitcoin is a little bit different than the way we might view it, because we haven't had this whole separate uh, life that he had with uh, doing his real estate stuff and other investing, of course. But I thought it was a very good interview and it was hard to not debate him because I don't know if I should even talk about this, but uh, it was hard not to debate him. Uh, but we we, ju- we want to get all the different opinions on this show. So you guys kind of know where I personally fall down on the deflationist camp, but so many people, so many bright and uh, insightful people out there are arguing just the opposite way. And so uh, we got some of his insight from a real estate perspective, from a content producer uh, perspective, because he has done a lot of interviews himself on his own uh, YouTube channel. So I, I don't know, I, I had fun with it. And I thought it was a great interview. Yeah, absolutely. And um, after we got off, Mark asked us if we we're going to be in Miami for that Bitcoin conference. And I was like, Hell yeah, man, we're putting on the Bitcoin conference. (laughs) So I'm going to tell you guys about Bitcoin 2021. Antle's going to be there. I'm going to be there. Chamath is going to be there. Jack Dorsey, Michael Saylor. I mean, if you can think of an amazing person in the Bitcoin space, they're probably going to be there. Mark's going to be there. So I could just keep going. Like the list is quite long. There is thousands of tickets that have already been sold. And we do have a hard cap. We recently announced the hotels that we're partnering with. I think we've announced uh, more than five or six right now, and we are constantly adding new partners to the website. So go over to b.tc, get your ticket there, go check out the hotels there. We have special deals, and uh, you can use promo code SATOSHI, that is all caps SATOSHI, both for paying with Bitcoin or with paying with fiat, and get 10% off your ticket. So go over to uh, b.tc backslash conference and get your ticket today. See all of these amazing people in the Bitcoin community in person at the biggest Bitcoin event in history. Um, And yeah, with that, let's just get right into this podcast with Mark. This was a really good one. Welcome, Bitcoiners, to another episode of FedWatch. I am sitting across from Sovereign individual extraordinaire, uh, guru in hard money, real estate, and just, you know, how to approach uh, the world these days. I feel like you uh, come up to mind, Mark, uh, for folks that, you know, are well equipped for dealing with uh, 
this time in history. Um, Really excited to have you here on FedWatch here with me and Antel. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, Pleasure to be back with you. Um, I do love talking about all these topics. So any chance I can to have this conversation, I'm ready to go. Thanks for having me. So, I mean, just kind of first off, uh, why don't you kind of like introduce yourself? I mean, you have a, uh, a YouTube channel with almost a quarter of a million uh, folks listening into uh, a lot of the wisdom that you're sharing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I have a background that uh, is, is, uh, is pretty diverse, and I think it's kind of uniquely situated me for, for this time. I got really into when I really finally dove into Bitcoin was like 2015. And, um, you know, I had watched it for a while, but I was I, at the time I was uh, I was actually subscribed to a newsletter called Sovereign Man, and it's a uh, you know talks about flag theory and it talks about uh, having multiple passports and bank accounts. And so I was going through that process about a dozen years ago, and in 2015 I was actually in the process of setting up an offshore bank account in uh, Panama, so I could get the bank account going. I was going to start to work on citizenship down there, and that's when I took another look at Bitcoin, and I was like, dang, it's kind of the same thing. I don't have to go to Panama to open a bank account. I just go into Bitcoin. Um, and so I did, and I never ended up going to Panama. never did that. Um, but then as I started taking a look at it and I was, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pretty opinionated when it comes to po- politics and just economics and things like that in general. And I had pretty much given up on the system. I was pretty disillusioned. And when I took another look at it, I was like, this is our tool. Like, this is how we win. And so I was like, at that point, I have to tell everybody in the world about it. And I was like, all in. And so I started putting out content to my friends and family uh, that, that grew into a newsletter. Um, and then, uh, you know, like, like a lot of people took a, took a trip through the alt, altcoin scene, right? It was, it was blockchain for a minute there. Um, but uh, yeah, for the last couple of years, I've just been uh, making content um, about Bitcoin. And really, uh, my channel, if you, if you go look at my channel, the oldest videos, I did a four-part series just on Bitcoin. It's all been in Bitcoin, and it still is all Bitcoin. Um, but I try to expand to a little bit of a wider audience. And really, I focus on sound money. And uh, in 2008, I became a gold bug. And I was all about gold. But then I learned as time went on, it wasn't that I was a gold bug. I was a sound money advocate. And so really, I talk about the Fed. I talk about how bad they are and they run away inflation and what they're doing to destroy things. And then, of course, I talk about the solution, which, of course, is sound money. And then, then Bitcoin is that solution. So, yeah, I try to put out as much content as I can, try to expand people's thinking, let them understand that there's trade-offs with everything. And, and uh, anyway, it brings us to where we are right now. Sorry, I was muted. Um, and, you know, kind of speaking to uh, where we are right now, and specifically kind of, you know, where you are at, um, you recently left California, where I'm currently located, uh, yep. and went over to uh, Puerto Rico, uh, yep. you know, obviously kind of putting some practice into uh, what you've been preaching. Um, can you kind of talk about the move to Puerto Rico and uh, maybe even expanding on your views on, you know, sovereignty and jurisdictional arbitrage in general? Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's an exciting topic. And as you just said, right, I'm, I'm living it. So um, I try to, um, I've, I've always tried to live my life as a man of action and not words, right? So let my, let my actions speak louder for themselves. And so I've built my, in, my investing career. I've been pretty much a full-time investor for 25 years now. And I've built it off of a theory that says that money goes where it's treated best. And so that means that every time I'm in an investment or I evaluate something, I'm looking at like, is this where my money will go, go to be treated best? And then it started being like, well, then I should go where I'm treated best, right? And so, um, as I said, back in 2015, I was already looking into getting a passport in Panama. So this has been something that's been a long time brewing. Um, But 
man, I love California. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just such a cool place. But at the same time, it's like, shoot, I mean, like the not just the highest taxes in the country, but almost double the highest taxes in the country. What are you getting for it? You know, all these different things. And so um, I just thought, shoot, you know, am I being treated best here? And maybe we should go look at some other options. As an American, um, there's a lot of benefits to being American. One of the negatives of being an American is that no matter where you live in the world for the rest of your life, you owe American or U.S. federal taxes. And so most countries aren't like that. So if you're Canadian, you can move to Caymans or whatever. But uh, as an American, you always owe federal taxes. So I could have moved to Texas. I could have moved to Florida like a bunch of other people. Um, and I would have gotten rid of my California state taxes, but you'd still owe the federal taxes. Um, I lived in Texas till I was a kid. And uh I didn't really want to move back there. I don't know anybody in Florida. There's no waves there and not, not really good surfable waves anyway. So it's like, well, shoot, why, why move somewhere? If I don't know anybody, why not just go all the way to Puerto Rico? Um, Puerto Rico has a very favorable system. And so it's counterintuitive, but for whatever reason, uh, we're seeing it in California. Um, as they become more and more restrictive, and this is just the death of, a, of, a, of an empire, but as, as California becomes more and more restrictive, they push people out of the country. So you've seen notables like Elon Musk, you know, Ben Shapiro, Joe Rogan leaving California, but all the businesses have left as well. Oracle was like the last major company that was there. They left. And instead of going, shoot, like we're driving all these people away. Maybe we should like lighten up. No, instead they double down and make it even worse. Um, but what happened in, in Puerto Rico is they, they went bankrupt and they thought, shoot, we need to do something to get this economy turned around. And so if you come and start a business here and you hire employees and you export your services, then you get favorable tax treatment. And so guess what's happened? They've recruited a massive amount of entrepreneurs, uh, marketers, investors, people that could work remotely. And they have an amazing, thriving community, um, lots of business, lots of jobs. And so anyway, yeah, we've been here since January 1st and we're just checking it out. And Ansel. Bitcoin makes that easier too, doesn't it? Um, I, you were saying that you were into gold first and then you got into Bitcoin when you're like, this is our weapon. I think a lot of people go through that uh, kind of aha moment uh, gold is kind of depressing in a way. And then Bitcoin is kind of optimistic. Um, but I don't know, did, did Bitcoin play into your decision to move to Puerto Rico at all? Well, um, not really, I would say. I mean, obviously, um, on the tax side, so Puerto Rico has 0% capital gains tax. So from that perspective, it's good. However, I don't really ever plan on selling my Bitcoin. So I don't know if I'm too worried about the capital gains on that. Um, but it, did, it didn't really, um, not right now. What I can tell you, though, is dealing with the banking system over here only reinforces the, the value proposition of Bitcoin. So um, I'm, an, I'm a known person. Um, uh, I'm a high value client at my bank in, in Wells Fargo in the US. Um, I have 20 years of banking history, records and financial advisors, the whole deal. I, I hired a top uh, legal firm in Puerto Rico to help me, you know, set up my corporations and everything here. They gave me a concierge in the bank here in Puerto Rico to walk me through, get me everything done quickly. It took me 26 days to get an account opened up. And this was like filling out, I mean, more questions and forms than you've ever seen in your life because the banking system is permissioned, right? I have to have permission to join it. 26 days to get an account opened. And then here we are today. It's the 16th. It's been, what, 76 days. I have no debit card, no checks, and no online access to my account. 
So we're two and a half months into the year and I have no way to even access my money. So the banking system is dead man walking. Um, but as I said, Bitcoin didn't really lead to that. Um, but we can talk about uh, where it leads to in the future. And I do believe that um, the only thing that changes the direction that the world is going is, is people moving, like uh, being able to vote with their feet. And Bitcoin is what will enable that to happen. Excellent. I, I would like to shift gears into Bitcoin as a, a complete asset class uh, that kind of unto itself. How do you value it compared to gold and compared to real estate? You know, you have uh, your experience in the real estate uh, business. So how do you put Bitcoin in those terms for people? Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it, it's an asset obviously, but it's a, it's a non-productive asset. It's a, it's a, you know, it's, 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 it's a speculative asset at this point. I mean, everything is speculative at, at some point, right? We're, we're all guessing in the future where, where it's going. They say the stock market is a discounting mechanism. So I get in at a discount today from where it would be in the future. So everything's speculative at some point, but uh, real estate is, is cash producing. So it's a productive asset. So it makes money. So typically you have like uh, when you're buying apartments and cash flow properties, you have the, the, the net profit, times a multiple four five ten times the cap rate and then it gives you a valuation of the building so it's very easy to value real estate based off of the cash flow um the multiple can be a little bit subjective but it's only a couple times versus like stocks could be like 50 times um but gold um, bitcoin is probably trying to value it as an asset is probably more like gold in a sense where it's a non-productive asset it doesn't produce anything it doesn't produce any cash flow when i say non-productive i don't mean that it doesn't have a use case <laughs> don't don't get me confused it's got plenty of use cases but i just mean that it's not producing cash flow like a business would or like a like a like a rental real estate would um but so at, at some point it's, it's pretty speculative, right? How much will Bitcoin be worth in the future? And so um, I think I would look at gold the same way. And when I was a gold bug, I did, right? I mean, you can hear the Peter Schiff's of the world talking about gold where, you know, it's like, well, um, at some point the currencies are going to collapse. And the only chance that the governments will have is to revalue gold. And they're going to take gold from 2000 an ounce to $50,000 an ounce. And so they're speculating that it's going to happen in the future. Um, and we would also look at Bitcoin the same way, right? Like what markets is it disrupting? You know, how much money will it pull from each market? Um, no different than you would have valued Uber 10 years ago. Um, and so I look at, well, gold's, you know, $10 trillion. We can easily capture 10, 20% of that. I think we can eat the whole thing, but let's say 10% of that. And it's definitely better than an offshore bank account. I mean, they say it's a Swiss bank account in your pocket, right? So like I was, I started trying to set up an offshore bank account, um, we know like Russian oligarchs are getting their bank accounts seized with like half a billion dollars in them today. So they're no good, but there's 30 to $40 trillion sitting in offshore bank accounts. We can easily take that out, but let's call that 10% as well. So there's another three, 4 trillion. So now we're at $5 trillion. And then like um, all the people that are putting money into real estate, because that's the best place to put it right now. Um, how much can we take from there? Another 50 trillion. I mean, then we have, and we can keep going on and on. And when you start adding it up, I mean, Bitcoin could easily get to $10 trillion easily. I mean, without even barely even breaking a sweat. And so I think it's, it's, it's a speculative play, but kind of based off of that's kind of how I think about it. Excellent answer. Excellent answer. Now, well, another thing we talk about a lot here on the show is CBDCs. Uh, being FedWatch, a lot of times we actually go through and read Fed minutes to our audience and so that they, our audience can know what the Fed is actually saying. And, you know, a lot of times people um, put their own 
uh, judgments onto what the Fed is saying and, oh, the Fed, they're evil. They're just lying to us. But uh, it's, I don't think that's really the case. I mean, if you look into what they're saying. But anyway, I'm getting off track here. CBDCs is what I want to talk about. And um, uh, we, I don't think they make any sense. I don't think CBDCs really make any sense. Uh, we've talked about that on the show here. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, are they serious? Uh, well, I think they make a lot of sense. So I'll take the other side of that coin. Um, okay. I think I think they make a lot of sense. And I've done several videos on my channel talking about them. Um, and when you say don't make sense, or they do make sense, make sense to who and for what, right? So um, I see them making perfect sense to the central banks. Like it's a perfect tool for them to have complete surveillance and control. So it makes perfect sense for that, right? It's, it's the next level of what they're going to want. Uh, we know that they've been trying to outlaw cash forever. Um, countries have done that in India overnight, I think 2016, they just outlawed like the 1,500 rupee notes. Um, and you had 30 days to get in the bank or you lose it and you better show where you got it or else you're going to lose, right? So um, we know they've been trying to do it in the US. They've been trying to get rid of the $100 bill for a while. And we know why, right? They want to control everything. They want to see everything. They want to know what you're spending on all these things, um, which is why they have AML and KYC and all those things. So I think it, I think it makes perfect sense for them to want that, right? That's the next evolution. Um, but I guess maybe when you said it doesn't make sense, probably it doesn't make sense for you and I, like, why would we want it? Right. Um, and so I would agree with you on that, but I think it's, it's definitely the, the evolution. It's definitely where it's going. Uh, we know that, you know, obviously China's already launched theirs. Several other countries already have theirs coming out. The feds already told us multiple times they're working on it. Um, kind of to your point, we read what they say, but then it's kind of cryptic. So we kind of have to like decipher it, but they already told us they're working with a team from MIT to, you know, to do this. Um, they've done multiple studies. Uh, I would think it's something that we see in the next, you know, 12 to 24 months roll out. Um, so I think it's very real and it makes sense for them, but uh, it, it just furthers this along, I think. So, I mean, in uh, 10 to 24 months, that's interesting. Uh, Powell has kind of said multiple times that um, it's something that they're looking into, but um, they're not trying to be the first. They're not in a rush. Um, that kind of stuff. Other central bankers have said, like, yes, this is a priority. We're, we're trying to move on this in the next 10 to 24 months. Um, do you mean uh, like a USD um, central bank digital currencies? Or you mean like we just start seeing them in mass um, kind of get rolled out in the next uh, 10 to 24 months? Like what's kind of like, uh, like, is there specific CBDCs that you're looking at here when you're kind of making those predictions? Well, we know that China already has theirs out, for example. So they've already, they rolled that out last year already. So, um, and their tests are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Their plan is to have it fully operational and uh, mainstream by the Olympics um, when they host the Olympics, which I think is uh, next year. So that's their plan. And I know exactly the quote that you're talking about with Jerome Powell, where he said, we don't need to be the first, we need to get it right. And that's kind of what he's saying. Um, I just think that, there's massive pressure from all these governments to do this. I mean, and including China, which is probably the biggest threat. And I just can't imagine the Fed sitting back and just watching the global market share getting eaten up if they don't have that available. Um, we both, I'm sure we all know from watching the cryptocurrency space for the last four or five years, people can roll out altcoins like snapping a finger, right? So like, really, what's like the holdup here? <laughs> like, um, they should be able to get this done pretty quickly. And so... Um, 
I don't have any factual reason to think that it's going to be done sooner. Other than, like I said, we know China's scheduled to get theirs out before the Olympics next year. Um, and I think that that pressure is going to force the fed to step it up. And we know that technologically speaking, it's possible to do that. So I just don't see any reason why it would be delayed anymore. Yeah. I, I mean, if Antel wants to jump in, um, I do have a couple of comments there. I mean, one of the reasons that, you know, both of us are skeptical is, um, you know, at least with the with USD, you know, we already see that Tether, USDC, G, uh, USD, these things like these market delivered USD stable coins, I call them Fed dollar, you know, uh, fe- uh, what's it called? Uh, Fed coin. I think they, that that already exists to some degree through kind of commercial means. We also kind of see like the fact that uh, commercial or uh, central bank straight to consumers is uh, kind of competing directly with commercial banks, which, um, you know, we know that there's already massive vested interest there, right? Mm-hmm. Like we know that they are not going to like to see themselves get obsoleted or socialized. Um, so, you know, we, we see a lot of headwinds for uh, 10 to 24 months of, you know, CBDCs becoming a thing that, you know, even people in the West start to like re- interact with. Yeah, I mean, th- those those are definitely good points. And and to that point, um, a- as you said, right, the, the USDC or, or whatever dollar-backed stable coins um, already are the majority of the market share. So I guess in that sense, they're not really being left behind. Um, so so I, I get that point. But what I would add to that, and maybe, maybe the 12 to 24 months is a little bit aggressive, we don't know. But what I would say is that a couple of things. One, it's not what the government wants, not what the central bank wants. So what they want is programmable money, and they want not just programmable money, they want behavioral money. So let me tell you what that means. So um, when they passed the stimulus, the goal was to stimulate the economy, right? The goal was to get that money moving through the system velocity up, right? But what happened? Everyone sat on the money. They didn't spend it or they, they spent it in Robinhood. That's not what they wanted. So they want to be able to program the money. We're like, hey, here's the money. If you don't spend it by Friday, it comes back to us. Oh, and by the way, you can only spend it here, 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 but you can't spend it here, here, here. So they don't have that control on US on stable coins. The other thing I'd say is that what they really want is they want behavioral money. So for example, Ansel, you're not saving enough money, buddy. You're in dangerous territory. So we're going to give you 5% interest if you save money. Oh, Mark, you're hoarding too much money. You're negative 10% on your money. You need to go spend it, right? So they want to be able to control... They want to control not, not just not just the money program, but also behavioral. So I just don't think the dollar back stable coins get them there. Now, to your point, maybe it doesn't happen in 24 months. Maybe it does take them longer. As you said, Powell says that we're just we're all just speculating at this point. But I would say that there's a, there's extra pressure though, because what China's doing right now, going back to kind of the bigger Fed picture, is you know, because of this 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 trippens the limit that we're in, right? The US dollar is the reserve currency of the world. And so we're forced to supply the world with dollars. And so we're giving money to China for basically free. And China is taking that money and going and developing like the Belt and Road Initiative. They're building ports and airports and naval bases and railroads all over the world. They're taking the US dollars we give to them and loaning all these little countries money. All these little countries are now owing money to China, but in dollars. But if they don't pay, it's not China's problem. It's the U.S.'s problem. So now the U.S. is going and setting up swap lines with all these countries and basically giving them the money to pay back to China 
to give back to us. And China has built this massive network around the world. And now they're going to start rolling out their US, their, their, their own, whatever, digital yuan or whatever you want to call it, DCEP, they call it. And so they'll, they'll start facilitating trade with Russia and Iran all through gold, uh, not through gold, but with oil, all through their own digital currency. And then this entire belt and road, this entire network they built out. And if the US doesn't provide something similar that can compete with that on a global level, I, 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 it's, it's going to be game over, man, I think. Uh, so um, already we've seen the dollar usage decline at a, at a really rapid pace. I mean, the most of the world is what we call de-dollarizing anyway. And so I think that would be the, the, the death of the dollar. Um, and so, you know, there is a great reset coming and maybe that's part of the great reset. But I think if the Fed waits too long, it's just going to be too late for them. And I don't think the, I don't think the stable coins uh, will matter in that regard, but we're all, we're all speculating at this point. I, wa I wanted to jump over to fiscal policy, and you mentioned stimulus there. Um, what's your take on the stimulus and its effect on the economy? Is it going to be, uh, is it going to work? Are we going to get growth from it? And also, maybe can you tie in some idea of uh, wealth transfer? I think you talk about that quite a bit on your on your channel. So, uh, can yeah. you tie those two things together? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, there's something known as the Keynesian multiplier. All right. And so, of course, Keynesian economics, John Maynard Keynes, who's basically kind of developed this financial economic, economic system that we're on. Right. And so the Keynesian multiplier talks about whenever a country gets past a certain amount of debt to GDP in their ratio. So whenever a country. So what basically what happens is when a country's economy takes a nosedive, similar to like what we've seen with the with the pandemic, um, a government would then borrow money or print money to try to make that gap up. And what you would hope is, let's say that we lost a trillion dollars out of the economy. Well, I could spend 500, I could spend half of that, 500 billion to get that trillion dollars worth of growth that I need to fill that gap. But the problem is, is that once we get over the Keynesian multiplier of 90%, we're getting less growth on the dollar. And now, I think right now with the Fed, with the debt passing like 28 trillion, we're at about 130 to 135% debt to GDP right now. Whenever you get to that level, countries don't really pull out of that. I mean, we, when Greece, when that happened to Greece a decade ago, they've never pulled out of that. And so what that means is now, instead of getting a um, dollar of growth for 50 cents, now we're getting 50 cents of growth for a dollar. And so what that means is you're basically digging your hole deeper and deeper and deeper. And so in the long run, it doesn't work. Um, obviously, we could go on to an even deeper level, which is money isn't wealth. Like they can give more money out to people, but that's not wealth. Wealth is goods and services. And so they can go create more money and that more money goes and chases the same finite amount of goods and services. And then prices just go up. So we can talk about that. But at the end of the day, to your question, will the stimulus work? N not not in the long not in the long run not even in the short run we're getting less and less growth um like anything it has diminishing returns so it's working less and less and less and then it starts being bad for you um and i think that's where we're at right now uh, yeah i was gonna say i i just can't see how how this stimulus check is good for anyone i you know any no one is is getting their needs met by this stimulus check like it's already taken way too long right it's yeah. not enough like we just know it's just at this point it's just like here's a little kickback just shut up um and i mean what are people doing with it you know at this point they're just speculating with it because they don't have enough already it's not going to meet their needs so unless they hit a 
unless they hit a, a you know a home run with a with a stock or a cryptocurrency you know they you know they're bankrupt anyways yeah you're absolutely right i mean it's it's way too little way too late i think um i think i think you're absolutely right with what you said it's like take this money and shut up and it, it gets deeper right so like you just have to go you just have to go back through history and just look at how history just continues to repeat and then you start to understand like human incentives and things like that and you can kind of start to see where this is going but what the government wants is they want people that are dependent on them and as they continue to bring in more you know immigrants that then become dependent on the state and they're build, living off of welfare and all these things then their votes go their way so what happens is and you've seen this in your own life right where you have somebody in your life that you give and you give and you give and you bend over backwards and and they're not even grateful for it anymore and as a matter of fact if you pull back a little bit now they're mad at you it's like what do you mean you're mad i was giving you all this right and so that's what the government's doing where it's like they're giving you this and they're giving you this and they're giving you this now let's say that a republican wants to come back into office and they're going to cut the stimmy oh you think anyone's going to vote for them you see what i'm saying so they're kind of like creating this whole class of people that are dependent on them and ultimately, I think that's what it, I mean, this is the path to UBI, right? Universal basic in, uh, income, which seems like this new radical idea, but we've had Section 8 housing and welfare and food stamps and EBT and all that already for a long time. So um, I think it's just really all it is is just kind of expanding the program a little bit. But ultimately, uh, history tells us where it leads and it's not good. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, wealth transfer. I mean, you talk about a wealth transfer a lot, you know, is yeah. that have to do is, is that kind of pinned to Bitcoin? It, like, is that pinned on um, the the emergence of UBI and eventually, you know, let's call it like the downfall of the dollar and other fiats? Can you talk a little bit about the wealth transfer? Yeah, I love talking about the wealth transfer. It's something that I've spent my last dozen years studying. So um, in 2008, from I bought my first uh, uh, investment property like right out of high school, and that was in like 1995. I rolled it for a decade and built this massive real estate empire. Um, by 2006, seven by 2008, I got wiped out. And what happened is, is I was like, dang man, I'm really good at making money, but I don't know what this whole like financial casino is. And so that's what turned me into the gold bug and all these things. And so um, I learned this concept that money is like energy. It doesn't disappear, it transfers. And so what that means is when I lost all my wealth in real estate, someone else got it. And I didn't like that. <laughs> like, I'm like, that, that's not sitting well with me. That's never going to happen to me again. So I've spent the last dozen years studying this because I want to be on the receiving end of this wealth transfer. But basically the way it works is that as an investor, we want volatility in a market. The more volatility there is, the more money, that, more money there is to be made, right? If, if, the, if the price of an asset never changed, <laughs> there's no opportunity to make money. We need volatility, right? And the more volatile it is, the more money we can make. So in times of transition, like we're going through, right? Like we're seeing the end of the Fed, like diminishing returns, it's not working. We have this looming great reset that's coming. Um, all roads are leading to massive shift, right? We have global unrest, you know, all these things. And so unfortunately for the majority of people, it's, it's not a good situation, um, but it presents massive opportunities, because the more volatile the market, the more opportunities there are. Um, and so um, we're going into this, into this phase where we're going to see, like I said, the majority of people losing everything and then the majority of pe some people getting it. And so to kind of give you a frame of how that works, um, 
in times of transition like this, a couple things happen. Um, if you've studied kind of the four tur- the four turnings, right? Like in this fourth turning, um, which is a is, is a ninety year cycle, which is where we're in right now. Um, we're at the end of that ninety year cycle, and massive change happens in a very small amount of time. And so uh, you mentioned Bitcoin, and of course, Bitcoin is the tool that most of us can use for this. And so, you know, I was on a call earlier, right before I got on this one. And I was telling him, man, I wish I would have had the conviction in Bitcoin when I first started buying five years ago or six years ago that I do today, because now I'm putting a lot of money in. I wish I would have put that in back then, but I didn't have the conviction. Um, But still today, we see so many people that think it's lame or stupid or all this FUD and all these things. And so they're still missing that boat. And I believe it's the biggest opportunity that we have where we have this opportunity to to get onto a brand new monetary system. something that's going to change the way the entire world works. And we can get in on that early right now while the majority of people are missing out on that. Um, There's other ways that it will happen as well. So if we look at, just look at the 2008 financial crash, for example. Um, So at 2006, 2007, 2000, everyone was like, I got to buy real estate, got to buy real estate. People were standing in line at track homes and buying two, three homes at a time. Everybody jumped in at the very top, Right. And then what happened? The markets crashed. Millions of people lost their homes. So they all got sucked in at the top. The market crashed. And then what, what happened? Well, the banks printed money, the Fed printed money, gave it to all the hedge funds, the Black Rocks of the world. They went and bought all the homes. And now all those millions of Americans who lost their homes are renters now. The wealth transferred. All those people lost their wealth, and now the banks own those homes, and now they're renters, right? So the key to surviving a wealth transfer is being able to maintain your purchasing power so you can bet alongside the Fed, right? Bet alongside the banks. And so we know that um, we we can look at the dot-com crash. We can go back through history and look at each one of these, but the, the real estate one is the best example. But if we can maintain our purchasing power – in the crash, we have the chance to buy assets at the sale of a lifetime and then ride that back up. So that, you know, that, 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 that goes across all different types of asset classes, but, but to the, back to the, the point, uh, the, the topic at hand tonight, which is, which is Bitcoin, of course, is the single greatest opportunity that we have for that wealth transfer. Yeah. So um, is that, would you consider that your investment thesis for Bitcoin then that uh, there's going to be a monetary, you said, uh, you know, a big upheaval in the monetary system, the wealth transfer that's going to come uh, to Bitcoin holders. Uh, But what if like, is there a possibility that inflation doesn't pick up? I mean, does velocity never pick up? Uh, What happens if asset prices just keep inflating, but basic CPI stays flat for, uh, you know, another five or 10 years. Is that possible? Is there a tipping point in your mind? Um, well, so we have to kind of break that, break that question down a little bit. So um, first off, I would say that um, it's totally possible that CPI doesn't ever go up. As a matter of fact, CPI goes down, but that's because CPI is a manipulated political tool. <laughs> CPI means nothing to you and I. So um, that's, that's what the government uses as their, as their permission to print more money. It means nothing. We all know that gas is way up this year. We know that the loaf of bread went way up. We know that steak and milk went way up. We know that homes are way up. We know that everything's up. And this is just in the U.S. In parts of the world, they're seeing food prices go up 60 70%. As a matter of fact, in Russia and I think Argentina just put um, caps on prices because they're going up way too fast. So um, there's massive inflation 
Um, everybody knows it. Everybody sees it. The CPI can tell you whatever they want. So let me give you one example of how the CPI manipulates. So first of all, there was a massive change to the CPI in the 80s. There was another one in the 90s. If you would just use CPI calculation that they did in the 80s, we're seeing about 15 to 20% calculation. One of the big things that we see with CPI is, for example, home prices have gone up like crazy, right? So um, home prices, they were 500,000 six, seven years ago. Now they're a million bucks. Well, CPI doesn't count that. As a matter of fact, what CPI does is they use something called the owner's rent equivalents. So that $500,000 home may be rented for $4,000 a month. Today, it's a million dollar home and the rent went from $4,000 to $5,500, let's say. So CPI only counts the $4,000 to $5,500. It doesn't count the $500,000 to a million. So it doesn't even count that at all. So um, yeah, whatever CPI shows is forget that. But back to, the, I guess, your original question, which is, is there any chance that CPA or in, inflation does not go up? And there's no, there's absolutely zero chance that it's, it's impossible because we have natural laws. Gravity, it's a natural law. You can't get around it. And we have economic laws and you can't get around it. No amount of financial engineering can change that. And so again, wealth is not money. Wealth is goods and services. And so if that money is if we're creating more money to go chase the same finite amounts of goods and services, it creates inflation. That's just it. Now, if that money was actually being used for creating more goods and services, actually being used for productive goods, services, then maybe it could help offset that. But we live in a financialized economy now. We don't make anything. We don't produce anything. All that money is going into assets, as you just said, right? Asset inflation, it's going to corporations are buying back their shares. And so it's not, they're not investing into R&D. They're not creating new products. And so it's only accelerating from here. And uh, so anyway, to answer your question, I would say there's no chance that we don't see inflation. So, well, is it, is it a tipping point or is it uh, just, you know, a parabola in prices or, or where, because, I mean, yeah, gas prices are higher, but futures also hit zero last year. So there is, and gold isn't necessarily, it's still below its 2011 high there. I mean, you can point to a lot of different prices out there that are not signaling inflation. And so can we just continue to go in a bifurcated fashion? Uh, where is there a tipping point? Uh, that's, that's well, what I'm wondering. I would say the only, the only, the only prices that you could show are not seen inflation are government controlled prices. So gold. Yeah. Because it's manipulated, right? I mean, the price of gold is set in London every single morning by some guy in a room, like, come on, really? Like, um, it's controlled by paper markets. Right. So, um, so I, I would say, but anyway, I guess you're asking like, what's the tipping point at what, at what point, does it, does it end? And what I would say is one, um, timing is impossible. Nobody knows timing. If anybody could pick the top and bottom, they'd be the richest guy in the world, but they're not. Um, what I would say to that though, is that two things, one markets stop going up when there's no more buyers. Simple, right? Break these down simple. But the other thing is that as humans, and we can see this throughout history over and over and over again, humans, can take a lot of abuse. I mean, slavery, right? We can go back through the Bible and read the days of the slavery. And I mean, you can look at how much abuse people can take, read through, you know, socialism and communism, all those things. The tipping point to revolution is always when people can't feed their family. That's the tipping point. And so when you start seeing right now, I just said food prices in some of these South American countries are up 70, 80%. Food prices. Food prices in the U.S. set a record per CPI. Per CPI, it showed that we saw a record set in inflation on food prices just last quarter. 
So that, I guess, would if I was going to try to pick any breaking point, that's where it would be. When people can't feed their families, man, that's it. Game over. So um, I don't know. Maybe that helps. We, we definitely go back and forth on this point in, in what we've kind of concluded here at FedWatch is um, maybe we, it's hard to say inflation, deflation, what's happening. We definitely see like a, mon- a monetary hurricane happening. Like there's manipulation left and right. We don't know what the second, third, fourth order effects of that manipulation is and where that's breaking supply chains and misallocating capital and things like that. Um, yeah. I kind of want to talk about like, okay, Bitcoin's at the core of your buying power thesis. There will be a huge crash. Uh, businesses and other assets will be available and Bitcoin will preserve buying power. Can you kind of talk a little bit about like the transition and um, how we move into uh, this Bitcoin world? Yeah, so um, I just recently did a video where I talked about um, the transition of the of the pound sterling to the U.S. dollar, and so we can see that um, the reserve currency of the world has changed many times. And so I think it's always important to kind of go back and study history to see how it kind of worked last time to get an idea of how how it works moving forward. And you know, history doesn't ri- repeat, but it kind of rhymes. But what's important to understand when the when the dollar took over as king from the from the pound, it was uh, you know it was a thirty. 30 year process. So it's not like these things have like that light switch moment. It was a process where at first um, Britain had to borrow a bunch of money for World War One, and the U.S. started sending a bunch of gold over there, but then Britain needed to buy supplies. So then they sent the gold back to the U.S. And then, you know, and it was this process. Uh, and, and, it was, and then they kind of jockeyed back and forth. And then the light switch moment was finally Bretton Woods in 1944 when they said, okay, as of today, the dollar is now the reserve currency. So um, I think moving forward, like how does this play out? I would say that kind of the same way. It's not like uh, uh, it doesn't happen very quickly. It's, it's a matter of time. As I, as I already kind of said earlier, like we've seen the dollar decline in use around the world already, right? Lots of countries are already de-dollarized. Um, and now uh, with Bitcoin, people have an outlet, right? A, a way to get out of the currency, which is only going to accelerate this even more. Um, I would say, though, I think that, you know, the powers that be, the NGOs, the, the, the elite, whatever, like they're going to hang on. They're going to try to do whatever they can to hang on to power as long as they possibly can. So I think there's quite a few more tricks up their sleeve. But what I, what I kind of see happening is that we, the people start moving to Bitcoin and the bankers continue to try to, you know, push their central bank currencies. I think uh, in the last video I made, I talked about where I think you, 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 you'd made a point earlier about how um, the commercial banks aren't going to want the central banks to bypass them to get money out. Right. So um, if you look at the way money is made, right, the central banks gives reserves to the commercial banks and the commercial banks lend them money into existence by giving it out to us. Um, and then you have the central banks and then you have the central bank of all central banks, which is like the BIS or the IMF above that. Well, I think that whole stack gets completely crashed. It gets, gets, gets stuck. So, so right now we have like local banks and farmers and merchant banks, and then we have commercial banks and all that. I think all that goes away. Um, the, the banks need reserves. Where do they get that from? And it's the IMF and their SDRs. So I believe the SDR will be a digital token. And that will be the real money. And I think each individual country will still have their own digital currency, but it'll all be backed, not by gold, like Peter Schiff says, it'll be backed by an SDR, which will be a digital money. And eventually that SDR could just be a digital token and come out directly to you and I. Um, 
And so I see that back to kind of back to the question, how do I see this kind of playing out? I see the people like we have a lifeboat, right? We have a raft, like we can jump into Bitcoin, but the, the, the central banksters, they're going to keep that charade going for as long as they can. And I think we'll see this kind of dual system go on for quite a while. Going back to, like I said, the pound sterling, you know, it could happen 20, 30 years that we could kind of see this kind of keep bifurcating out like this. Um, but again, back to history, it shows that humans always win, man. Humans always win. Like we, the people, like we're, we're too big. We're too powerful. Human ingenuity, human free, the, the drive for freedom is always going to win. And so I think, well, you know, maybe it could be 20, 30 decades, right? Where we kind of see this system, but eventually, eventually it loses. It goes against all of human nature. Um, and it goes against what humans are innately called for, right? Like humans are set out for their own self-interest and, um, I think, I think we revert to that at some point and maybe that's a few decades away. I don't know. Maybe, maybe sooner, you know, I did reference the fourth turning. And so we do, you know, in, in these 90 year cycles, we go through periods where decades can happen in like weeks and we are in that period right now. So it could actually happen much faster. Um, I was, uh, with, uh, Max Kaiser, uh, and Stacy, Stacy, she, she tweeted out last night, like, uh, the something about like the stimulus, like only 1400 bucks, like why not 1400 bucks a week? And I was like, why stop there? Let's just go to 5,000 bucks a week. Let's make everybody rich. Like, like, let's just get this over with. Right. So we can see what they're doing. The the inevitable end is that it all collapses. And so I think it comes up to like them, how fast they want to escalate that process. Um, So maybe it happens in, in, in five or 10 years. I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm a lot more on the train that this decade is is where we're going to see the transition. Um, but I mean, in general, um, how, how in do you general, see that? Um, how, but, but how do you see that playing out? Like, you don't see the central banks like keep trying to like keep the charade going somehow. Like, you think within five years they're out of uh, out of options? You, you know, I truly do not know. I'm young and ignorant, but. Um, Ansel, Ansel likes to kind of like position Bitcoin as like, you know, there's going to be two side by side economies and one is going to have growth and asset allocation that is that makes sense. And the other is not. And how long can those two things exist side by side before it's just common sense to move over? It's, yeah. you know, there's no benefit of staying on the other one. Like, yeah. how long did it take for every single company to get a website? Like, it just like when and then Bitcoin's already built on top of that network. So uh, I, I absolutely see a path where, you know, there's there's nothing that can be done. And so, uh, yeah, I think as soon as Bitcoin is a viable alt- alternative, no, they will not be able to resist it. Because if they do, they will just be so inefficient that they won't be able to compete with anybody. So, um, and it'll be like a first mover advantage. So the first economy, you know, if China wants to adopt it first, well, then the U.S. is going to also do it. So there, or Japan, right? So there'll be uh, this competition who can adopt it fast, fast, uh, faster. So that's that's what I see going forward. Yeah, we all see the same thing. It's just how long does that transition take? Um, is the only question, and, and we don't know. Um, but 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 it is interesting that um, I think having those two side by systems um, only highlights how how bad one is and how good the other one is 
Um, and then the more they do to try, try to keep it alive, the more they do to market the other system. And then their last, their last, you know, breath will be to try to regulate it, which will then even push people, even more people. So it's like, almost like there's nothing they can do, right? The more they try to resist it, it's like, uh, I don't know, I've never been stuck in quicksand, but it's like, the more you try to get out, the deeper you go or something. Right. So, um, I, I mean, I definitely see that. Um, I guess I just think it could maybe take a little bit longer, but, but yeah, we don't know. I mean, no, no one knows, right? And there's tools that are constantly being developed, but we'll see. Uh, you know, that that's my optimistic take. Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure getting you on. Again, a lot of insight, a lot of kind of uh, even historical um, takes, uh, but also opposite takes of what we're saying. So, um, you know, it's always good to, you know, get a, a, a wider picture of everything that's happening in the macroscape because there is just so much. Uh, Want to give you a moment to kind of give our audience, the FedWatch audience, your last word. Yeah. Well, I would, uh, the thing that I would like to say is that, um, you know, the future is uncertain. And, and the future is scary for a lot of people. We have, you know, the World Economic Forum talking about the Great Reset, and we're still, you know, facing with global lockdowns. And um, when you look at where we're going, it's it, oftentimes it's not good, and oftentimes it's kind of depressing. And what I, I could tell people is that the future is not set. The future is what we want the future to be. And if that's not the future that you like, then do something about it, right? And so, like, if, if, a, if a billion people are using Bitcoin and they don't want it to be illegal, then it shouldn't be illegal, but it's up to us. And so I just want to encourage everybody that I know it's scary, but let's make sure that we continue to educate people. Let's continue that we continue to spread the word. Let's make continue that we're able to stand up and speak our mind without being afraid. And then we can get the future that we want. So I'll leave it with that. I love that. I love that. Thank you, Mark. Where can people find you? Yeah. So, I mean, if you like hearing these types of, uh, these types, these types of topics, then just on YouTube, right. I do uh, two to three videos a week, just Mark Moss on YouTube. And then I'm pretty active on Twitter. It's the number one Mark Moss. So if you want to ask me any questions, just hit me on Twitter or, or uh, watch along on, uh, on YouTube. All right. Awesome. Def- Mark Moss, definitely worth a follow on Twitter. I've been following for a couple of years and really enjoying the content and the YouTube videos are fantastic. Um, you guys, I would implore you to uh, go and subscribe to the Bitcoin Magazine podcast over on YouTube and subscribe to FedWatch over on your podcast player. Um, excited to get Mark Moss out and uh, amazing interviews uh, to come as well. So until then, uh, catch you guys later and uh, have a good one. Peace. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.